you are constantly evolving. We mm-hmm. hear that all the time. Changes, change is constant, whatever. What they don't tell you is that you have to be at peace with your past self and your present self mm-hmm. and who you hope to be. And that is a challenge. Hello there. I'm Yonka Kamara. Welcome to Kume Turning Point Diaries, where we share stories of critical moments in our personal and professional lives. Today, I'm talking to Michelle Kelly, a social media community manager, as well as a certified health and life coach. In short, she is a connector. In our conversation, Michelle shares her upbringing as an adopted Korean American and its salient influence in her personal life and professional development. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so before we get started, just want to disclaim, <laughs> I am forever sinus issue, so if I'm you know, clearing my throat a lot. Sorry in advance. <laughs> it's all good. It's <laughs> Just want to get good. it out because it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm super excited to be here um, and yeah, talk a little bit about my background. And um, I I think these conversations are really important and I, I hope everyone gets something from this. So. Yeah, I'm sure they will. I'm yeah, sure. So just to give a little bit more background, um, we met back in January when we participated in a conversation, very meaningful conversation about race in the workplace, right? And it was produced by LinkedIn. And I just remember meeting you and you just had like this natural openness to you and this awareness, you know, and uh, I was so drawn to that. And, you know, the more I talked to you, um, you just seemed like you had an interesting story. Oh, cool. And, Thank you. <laughs> and, you know, sure enough, you do. And I'm so happy that you agreed to come on the show to share your story. And hopefully, like you said, hopefully somebody gets something out of this. And I'm pretty confident that they will. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, thank you again for having me. Um, And I agree. I think that's the beauty of podcasting. And, you know, I work in social media is just everyone. Yeah. Is connected to some degree. So. Mm -hmm. um, So, yeah. So diving in, um, I wanted to talk today or I know we chatted a Mm -hmm. a little bit about what we want to dive into. And um, I am an adopted Korean American. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was adopted at a young age around four, almost five years old. Um, and my situation is unique because I was actually adopted through family. So for that, I'm, I'm really grateful because I, I still had somewhat of a connection. Mm -hmm. Um, so to give a brief background, my mom, you know, ended up leaving my biological dad. Um, she basically in the era that she grew up in Korea, she's one of seven kids, didn't have education beyond a certain age because my family couldn't afford it. So <clears throat> she really could only work to be a nanny or clean homes and she couldn't really raise me. Mm-hmm. So after living with my grandma for a little bit, my aunt that lived overseas, she was the only aunt who had left Korea. Yeah. She married an American, went off, etc. Um, kind of heard what was going on and, you know, just offered like, Hey, why don't you and your daughter come here? We can figure something out, etc. Um, so at the time my aunt, so I'll give names so that this, cause it's going to get confusing. <laughs> confusing. <laughs> so my aunt is my mom's sister. Her mm-hmm. name is Taesu. Mm-hmm. My mom is Pilsu. Okay. My grandpa decided to name all his kids with a Sue at the end. Okay. FYI. Um, <laughs> and then, well, my uncle who I will refer to as my dad, cause 
that's who I know as my dad. Um, his name is Michael, just okay. so everyone's clear, hopefully. Okay. Uh, so Tesu had reached out, and so we, we ended up going to see her in Germany. That's okay. where my uncle was stationed And at how the time. old were you? So that's when, yeah, I was around four or five okay. years old. Um, so we get to Germany, and the plan was, you know, I was only supposed to be there for maybe two, three years, you know, just so that my mom could get on her feet back in Korea, get a place to live, et cetera. But what ended up happening is, you know, she was dealt with a lot of challenges. It's not easy, especially at that time in Korea, um, for, for a woman yeah. um, who didn't have education or came from money to do anything like that. So I ended up getting adopted or just staying with my, my parents long term, or sorry, my aunt and uncle, just going to call them my parents. <laughs> <Your> parents. <laughs> they are your parents. But yeah, so I ended up staying with my my now parents, you know, long term and fast forwarding a little bit. Um, what ended up happening is my, my dad eventually retired from the military and then we moved from Germany to Virginia because <clears throat> he ended up getting a government job there. So... We moved around, I think it was in the summer, like June, July, and that August, actually, my aunt ended up passing away. Wow. So um, my parents rode motorcycles. Long story short, we went for like a joyride on a Sunday, and she, you know, got in a head-on collision of someone who was speeding way too much in a residential area, etc. Um, so of course, that in itself was a traumatic experience. Um, unfortunately I was on the back of my dad's motorcycle, so I was there when it happened. Wow. And, um, that's something, you know, it's a whole other story, so, but yeah. yeah. So after she did passed, did you see it? Where, did you actually I did. witness? Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, um, I mean, thank God I wasn't on the back of her bike, but yeah. So when it happened, it was like the place that we we're driving through again, it was residential. So there were really no cars. It was a weekend, very quiet. And I think it was like 20, you know, 20 miles per hour was the speed limit, but this guy was going, doing over 80. Mm -hmm. So head on and her, I mean, she's on a motorcycle, so it flipped in the air and, you know, wow. and I, I do remember I got off the bike my dad was freaking out. I mean, he was like yelling for help because there are houses up on the yeah, hill yeah, yeah. just for someone to call 911. And you have to remember this is before cell phones. phones yeah. <laughs> so he's, you know, hope, luckily we saw people come out of their house and, you know, someone called 911, but he looked like he wanted to probably murder that guy. Yeah. So he was like yelling at him. And then I walked up to her body actually. And thank God she had a helmet on. Yeah. Because I I probably would still be scarred if I had seen what was happening under yeah, there. Yeah, but yeah. I remember her body was trembling, and I mean she she was mumbling stuff in Korean. Um, I don't really know what she was saying, Same. but she yeah. And I don't know. It took a while because we lived in Stafford, Virginia, mm -hmm. and she ended up getting taken to Mary Washington, which is pretty far. Mm -hmm. um, and they had to shut down that road because it was a main connector into the neighborhood. And I I don't you know I was so young I don't remember the exact amount of time that we were there but the sun had set you know by the time that yeah. we were finally able to leave the area and they had put me in the back of a car of someone who was stuck in traffic there yeah. and she worked she was a mcdonald's worker she had her mcdonald's hat on and she you know she's trying to make me feel comfortable how old were you so i was i was about seven at okay. that point yep yeah yeah it was seven uh -huh. um and she was like oh do you like mcdonald's you know she was trying to get my mind yeah. off of it and it's all kind of a blur, but the next memory is, you know, we, we finally got to the hospital and then she pronounced, you know, she's pronounced mm -hmm. dead. And, um, 
So anyways, yeah. so, so and, she, and she had a son as well, right? Yeah. Yep. So my cousin who, again, is, Your brother. I just called my brother. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Who's eight years older than me. Um, who, yeah, he, he, unfortunately he passed while I was in college. So he's no oh, longer okay. living either, oh, but, wow. um, but yeah. Yeah. A lot uh, of loss. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, um, I think we're going to talk more about the race and the adoption and all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But in general, for some reason, the universe decided that I was going to have a lot of trauma as a young kid. <laughs> so, and in, in some ways, um, I think when I was a kid, I would, you know, ask myself like, why is this happening to me? Maybe not as specific, but I was just like, okay, this is just the way life is. And yeah. I, I will say as an adult, um, in some ways I'm grateful that those things did happen to me because mm-hmm. not, you know, not that I wanted them to die, but, um, I deal with a lot of difficult situations now as an adult, much easier I've noticed than my peers. Mm. So I have peers now who have parents that are getting sick mm. or even grandparents. They're not used to death. This is the first time they're dealing. And this with- is the first time that they're ever dealing with anything like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, I have to be mindful to be more empathetic sometimes because for me, I, I have a very different perspective, I think, of the life cycle because of my experiences mm-hmm. early on. Um, you know, for me, when you're getting old, it's just part of life. You yeah. have to die eventually. Yeah. Um, not to get really morbid, but yeah. yeah, so that that is that. But um, So what happens? So your, your mother passes away. Yeah. Um, and then, so now it's just, you, it's just your brother uh-huh. um, and your dad. Yep. It's the three of us. And again, my brother is eight years older than me. So I mean, he's already a teenager. He's out of the house a lot, whatever. My dad, unfortunately, you know, was depressed. And as a kid, you don't even know what depression is mm-hmm. um, or what it looks like. So I didn't realize until later in life, like looking back on those memories, I was like, wow, my dad was going through it yeah rightfully so so um and he he was commuting at the time from stafford to up to close to dc which was a, a huge commute because the traffic down there is terrible yeah. so he would get home really late and just like kind of go to sleep you know he didn't want to do any interactions whatever he's going through Good. morning yeah, yeah, yeah. so um i kind of became the leader of the house like you know i that's why i cook so much now yeah. um i got you sick also of, have a very take charge kind of presence uh, thanks, <laughs> as well yeah. you know <laughs> Thank in you. a good way yeah, yeah 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 no and i i am like i do consider myself like the mom friend and mm. i think it, a lot of it stems from that experience um because i just remember at one point i mean imagine living with like two sloppy bachelors it was like our house you know my brother would leave his clothes everywhere mm. the dishes were never really done we were ordering like think of any fast food place like we were definitely eating there seven days of the week you know and not my dad he was trying his best that's all he could really do um so i started cooking and i started doing the laundry and i started cleaning and like these became like my self-care things that i didn't even realize i was developing but i was like i just need to do this because it's exactly because my my mom i mean when she was alive she she, she's like your typical tiger mom asian like you know made everything from scratch was constantly cleaning like took care of everything whatever so to all of a sudden lose that it mm. kind of definitely like not broke the household but, but it was like, a disruption it was a disruption so um and and with that you know again at the time i wasn't getting a lot of attention because um my my dad was busy or tired or depressed and then my brother was being a teenager um so i really became the independent person that i am today you know that's where it really rooted from Mm -hmm. um and with that was also the start of i mean 
you know, going into middle school and whatnot, when you're starting to develop personal identity and who you are, um, I just didn't really know who I was supposed to be. Mm. Um, my, my dad, so my American family, so my grandparents on that side of the family, they lived in Arizona okay. and my dad has one sister who also lives in Arizona. And I had never really met them when my mom was still living. Cause they actually had really a poor relationship with her. Mm. Um, they actually, you know, my dad's family, they're Southern white Americans, mm. you know, maybe not the best points of views on things mm. like race, et cetera. And from what I've gathered from all parties is that there were some issues with the fact that he married, you know, a Korean woman mm. who was very like foreign and didn't eat the same foods and they judged her and kind of, there was a lot of friction there. Mm. So they, um, for years didn't actually even speak really. And it wasn't until she died that they were like, well, we need to, you need help. Yeah. To step in. Yeah. So, um, what ended up happening is those first couple of summers, my dad would send me to Arizona and my, and I would stay at their, with, at their home. So I actually became very close with them, even closer than my brother was. Cause my brother was Was, part of that time mm -hmm. where it was weird. Whereas me, I got a whole different version of them. Yeah. So I, I like took a real liking to my grandparents, et cetera. But what um you know what was interesting is like my cultural background or just my background in general is like this mix of like like southern white america (laughs) and then korean yeah um you know even down to the food that i eat like i remember those summers when i'd go down there my my dad's family they're they're german descent and polish Mm. i believe and like yeah my grandma would make me like goulash or you know we'd be eating like southern sandwich (laughs) concoctions whatnot um you know just stuff like that and and um and i think when i would come back to virginia and i would hang out with my friends too because in that neighborhood it was very suburbs it was before we moved closer to dc it was predominantly white um i looked different most of my friends were white there weren't a lot of other Asian girls or boys in our school and, um, my brother's mixed and he looked more white than I did. And so for me, it was kind of just like, well, I'm like odd. And I, I just wanted to fit in so badly, Mm. but I didn't even realize that that was happening until later in life. Um, was your, did your father do anything to kind of affirm your Korean identity? Cause you left Korea very young. Yeah. And, did your aunt, when she was living, did she affirm that? Oh, for sure. She so, I mean, that. Aunt... so you kind of had that. But <clears throat> yep. then when she, when, when that she... disruption happened, yeah. um, there was nobody who kind of took that, took her place in yeah. terms of affirming your identity. Exactly. So the one thing, so the one thing that's always stayed consistent, and this is why I'm a huge foodie, I'm obsessed with food, but it's because I find that food really connects to a lot of other emotions. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, Korean food was literally the only connection I had to my culture for years. Like I couldn't speak the language. I didn't, couldn't tell you about the history, whatever, but I could tell you what dishes I liked. Yeah. Cause I remember everything that my aunt would make for me. Oh wow. Cause she made everything from scratch and everything, you know, we ate all Korean food up until she died. Yeah. Um, and even my dad, he loves Korean, Korean food, food cause yeah. he was stationed in Korea for the military. Yeah. So he spent years eating it, loved it and was eating her cooking as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, be- besides that, like, you know, and it's not his fault. He, he obviously, I think for a few years I had a lot of resentment or, you know, was upset that he didn't do more but hmm. part of it for me was recognizing well you know i figure at the time he he was barely 40 mm-hmm. i'm 30 i'm about to be 32 now i cannot imagine first of all even having kids but like <laughs> let alone having them 
being with a spouse, them dying in front of me and then having to all of a sudden raise two kids and like work. Like I get stressed out about like going to the grocery store Mm -hmm. for myself. I don't even want to know what that feels like. So, um, you know, rightfully so he just wasn't in a mental state to be thinking, Oh, like how am I going to connect Michelle to her roots right now? Like while suffering from like depression. Mm. So, um, and you know, my friends at school, growing up in Southern or not, it wasn't really Southern. It's like mid Virginia, I guess Mm -hmm. where we were at the time. Um, you know, kind of a backward state sometimes. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely got made fun of for having slanted eyes. Like that was a classic joke. Um, you know, just being different. Oh, and then the other questions were, why don't you look like your brother? Mm -hmm. Like not everyone understood. And then because I was so ashamed, I I remember specifically, you know, you can bring your baby pictures to school. So I didn't have any. Cause I didn't, um, I just didn't have them cause yeah. they didn't have me when I was a baby. baby so yeah. I only had photos of me from like five and onward. Yeah. So what I did, and I didn't even tell my dad because my dad wasn't home for me to even ask him, how do I get that? Yeah. So I took a photo of my brother no way. as a baby and like, I use that and I use that and I was like, well, I have to bring something. Yeah. And I was like, I don't want to be the only one who doesn't have a baby photo. Oh, so yeah. I would, you know, stuff like that. Or, and then when people would ask me, um, did they know that he was biologically your cousin, not your biological? Some people did, but it's just like I didn't feel like going into all of that. Oh, yeah. And I think as a kid, too, I was kind of embarrassed mm-hmm. in some way. Like I felt ashamed that mm-hmm. I had such a like a weird family situation mm-hmm. or not a normal one. Because most of the kids, at least at that time in my neighborhood, it was like your nuclear family. Yeah. You know, they had their siblings and a dog and like whatever. And they did, they took like family photos together. Yeah. And I've, I've just never had that. And um, I mean, my dad wouldn't even make it to like parent teacher conference sometimes. Yeah. Like, you know, they're just things that I didn't have someone to be there for mm-hmm. um so so yeah that you know that's just one example and then we're so lucky now like i'm so happy to see kids today mm. being so much more open-minded and diverse and like open to other cultures because yeah. when i was a kid that was not the case and like people didn't even really know what korean meant yeah like everyone thought i was chinese yeah <laughs> you know it was like oh you're chinese blah, blah blah i was like i'm really i'm not first of all you know um so just trying to explain all those things and even when my aunt was alive and she would like pack me lunch she would not let me buy cafeteria yeah. lunch but she would pack me kimchi yeah. and like for me to see that people sell kimchi at whole foods is like like, what (laughs) because when i would bring that to school people would be like ew what is that like it smells so gross you know and so all those things kind of built up to me feeling ashamed and i didn't even identify it again when you're young you're not like i'm ashamed of my culture you just know that it makes you feel not great For a while, it made me almost not want to even interact with other Asian people. Mm. I didn't like, so my school at the time, I, I'll get to this later, but I, I really didn't make Asian friends until college. Um, because most of the Asian kids that I knew in grade school or, you know, younger, they were like directly from like China or wherever, like they didn't speak a lot of English, what, et cetera, et cetera. And I would almost get offended that people would try to pair me with them. Oh, it, and it bothered me because I was like, I know English, like I don't have an accent, like I don't eat stinky foods, even if I did, you know, whatever. And like, I just... I, you had internalized so much. I had internalized know, that, almost like self-hate. Dis- yeah, and you wanted to keep a distance. Yeah, you know? and I and I was like trying so hard to not be associated with those stereotypes that mm. 
when I would meet other Asian people who were probably so sweet and just wanted to bond with me or yeah. just be my friend because they were scared. Yeah. I was just like, no, yeah. you know, and, and, for, and it makes me sad to think that I even was in that space, mm. but I think it happens to a lot of people, um, you know, not just me or not just Asian people or yeah. whatever, but there's this thing about racism or, you know, um, stereotyping that forces a person to hate themselves. So, yeah. So, um, so anyway, so for years, and actually like, want to be a token you know like yeah. you, you actually exactly i almost like i felt like that was some form of a validation mm-hmm. or you're you know like getting the gold star like oh this is our friend michelle she's korean and she oh she does that because she's like korean yeah. and for a while i i embrace it even with my own family mm-hmm. they would be you know my my white family would say things all the time which i now realize were ter- were like not the best things to be said but i internalized what they were saying about me and i really labeled myself as those things as part of my identity mm-hmm. even if they weren't really true yeah um which is unfortunate because i think for years because I carried that I couldn't see myself beyond those labels if that makes sense which really I'm not saying everything happens in its own time and I'm grateful to just be where I am now Mm -hmm. but could I have maybe advanced a little bit faster in life had I been able to over overlook those things Mm -hmm. absolutely um and I see that again not just with me with other people who aren't adopted who are just of another race or just a different type of person who can't get past that label that's been put on them Mm -hmm. so I would say, you know, that probably carried on until probably closer to high school. Um, we eventually moved from the suburbs closer to DC, yeah, which was great. More diverse. It got more diverse. <clears throat> um, still then I, I still didn't have a ton of Asian friends or any because they're, there, they, there just weren't as yeah. many in my high school, but you know, I, I started, teenagers are awkward regardless, but I started navigating more and more. It wasn't until I got to college that I finally started meeting Asian people who weren't, who weren't so extreme of like either straight from their country, didn't know English or like, or like me. Right. Mm. I finally found a healthy middle ground of like, Oh, here are these healthy, like Asian peers who are self-accepting. They Mm. love their culture. They like to talk about it. They talk about all the stinky foods that they eat. They don't care. And they celebrate like all their individual holidays and, you know, cultural events. And I was like, I had never been around that before. And, um, my first Asian friend, she was Vietnamese. Mm. And when I met her, it was so funny because I met her through a mutual friend. And the first thing she said to me was like, like, I can't stand Asian people sometimes. And like, and I kind of bonded with her over that because again, I think we're both in, in like a similar ground of like, we don't want to be stereotyped. Um, so I identified with her and that's, I think how we became friends was mm. like, yeah, we're not the quiet, you know, shy Asian. We don't like, we're not in math club. Um, we, we don't just go to karaoke, yeah. although I do love karaoke, but you know, <laughs> things like that. And, um, and then from there, I think it just grew. I, yeah. I started making more friends and, um, you know, and it, and it felt good to finally hear cause my friends were there in Southern Virginia. There's a lot of Filipino and mm. Vietnamese. There's a huge Vietnamese population. So still not a ton of Korean friends, um, but I was meeting them and they, but the way they would talk about me as Korean was more of like a, oh, like, yeah, well you do that. And it, it was accurate though. It, instead of a, like an, an assumption, it mm-hmm. was like, oh no, Korean people really do love that. And I am doing that because like, I enjoy that as a yeah, Korean yeah, person. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, well we figured you'd like that if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but what was funny is <clears throat> 
I still hadn't peaked yet in my like self-awareness and you know oh this is who I am because at the same time I I remember I tried to join the uh, the Korean culture club. There's like a Korean whatever alliance type of club on campus because VC. I went to Virginia Commonwealth Uni- okay. University, mm-hmm. very diverse. A lot of Korean students there, but you could only join the club if you could speak Korean. <laughs> what they really had like this well, was like an unspoken it, rule or just kind it of it was like... kind of an unspoken thing and it wasn't like sponsored by the campus so i'm not putting that on vcu <laughs> but like they basically it was like a known thing that like they just only speak korean and like they're all very like korean yeah in terms of they don't want to have anything to do with americanness were they, were, were they first generation <clears throat> korean or like... yeah i think they're first generation a lot of them and you know um that just different yeah they're kind of like within the asian community i think koreans have a reputation for being snobby sometimes Mm. which you know whatever um and uh i and i i kind of felt that because i was like wow i can't i want to join this club literally so i can speak korean or like learn korean and bond with people in my culture but i can't join because i'm not already there in your eyes which i found to be interesting and i also there was another time i went to there was an asian fraternity on campus mm-hmm. and i went to uh, like a house party that they're having and one of their members was korean and he came up to me i guess he knew that i was korean started speaking korean to me and yeah. i i was like oh i was like i'm so sorry you know um i i don't speak korean he like yelled at me and wow. he was like Wow. And I, I thought he was joking at first. I, you know, was laughing it off, but he was serious. And he was like, oh, like, how could you not know Korean? Like, blah, 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 blah. And kind of shaming me mm-hmm. for, and I told him, I was like, well, first of all, I'm adopted. Like, yeah. I didn't really have a choice. Um, I would love to know how to speak Korean. But those events also kind of, then then it turned from, okay, so before I wasn't accepting my culture. And I wasn't now accepting other rejected. Asian people. <laughs> and now I'm being rejected. And I was like, no, like, let me in this club. <laughs> you know, like, I, I want to have Korean friends and I want to know more about these kinds of things. Um, so, yeah, so that lasted, you know, and... And then finally, I would say after school and, you know, a plethora of other life events, like my brother passing and mm. just self-development on your own. You yeah. know, we all know your early 20s or your 20s in general is a, is a rough yeah. time of discovering who you are, yeah. what you're good at, who you want to be, all those things. And um, and I think part of it, too, is me moving to New York, putting myself in an environment where I'm more accepted um, and people are more open-minded um i have finally come to a place where you know i am finally meeting other korean people who can bond with me or and regardless i that's no longer a need for me like i don't have to be with korean people to feel like oh i am a korean person or i am doing this you've Uh, accepted yourself i've i've accepted myself for who i am um and i just uh I feel lucky because I don't think everyone reaches the stage. Mm. Like I meet other people, not just who are Korean or Asian, but of other races or again, different backgrounds who have a hard time with self-acceptance. And I mean, my wish probably would be for everyone to be able to get here, but it's a hard road because, you know, I see the world, I think slightly different or I'm, I'm really fortunate to have had the whole adoption experience but still be connected to my family and my roots um and be able to go back to korea and yeah i know i was just about to ask you about that because i know that you went you've traveled to korea since Uh twice at this point right um total of three uh one two like three times three times um and have connected with your biological family yeah um how much of that has 
played a role in you embracing who you are and yeah. having a, just a better um, cultural um, identity. Oh, huge. A- yeah. I mean, so the first time I went back, I hadn't been back for 10 years. So I was probably like 11, hmm. 12 years old. And, <clears throat> you know, that first trip back was it was exciting. Did you go alone or did I you went have, alone, you all, went alone all three times? Yeah, I've gone oh, by wow. myself. Yeah. So the first time was interesting because, you know, 10 years goes by. You don't even really remember what people mm-hmm. look like. They don't know what you're going to look like because I was a child. Um, so when I got to the airport, my my mom was actually with my aunt and uncle. Who Your biological me up. mom. My biological <laughs> mom. Yes. And I mean, all she did was sob. Mm-hmm. Like she was just crying. And, you know, because looking back i know that her giving me up was much more traumatic for her than it was for me mm-hmm. as a kid i thought i was just going on a fun adventure you know with, oh, your get, aunt. <clears throat> with my aunt and oh i have like this other cousin mm-hmm. i get to go to a new place and hang out for her she had to give up literally the only child that she could ever have mm-hmm. so <clears throat> and when i went back i was still in the phase of a lot of resentment and just not understanding myself you know i was preteen <coughs> excuse me anyways but so when I went that first trip and even though my mom was so emotional, I know for a fact, which I have had to, um, forgive myself for is I, I know I wasn't nice to her mm. <clears throat> because I, the other part of this too, is my aunt that had adopted me, which I, I, I know there's like so many things to cover <laughs> in my life story. But so my aunt was, she was a little bit abusive and a little bit, um, just kind of all over the place mentally and emotionally for various reasons. And she used to talk very poorly about my aunt. I mean, my mom, sorry, I'm confusing myself. Um, About your biological mom. Yeah. About her. And she, she would used to tell me like, Oh, you know, you're, you're going to end up just like your mom. Hmm. She's like a loser. That's why like she couldn't take care of you. And we had to take you in. Like she would say things like that. And, um, you were so little and I was really little. So it really shaped again. That was part of my identity of, I was like, wow, I come from trash. (laughs) Like that's basically what you're telling me. And then it really painted a negative picture of how I perceived my mother. Excuse me. So when I went back, um, and you know, I, I was just like, I, this woman sucks. Part of understanding me has meant understanding my parents, mm. all five of them, <laughs> all three of my moms <laughs> and my two fathers. Yeah. And, um, it's part of the healing process too. So <clears throat> starting with my, with my biological mother, you know, I had to take into consideration. She is, she was one of seven kids raised on a farm post-war Korea. Not a lot of people know the Korean War did not happen in like the 1800s or something. It it ended in 1954, and recent. it's very recent. Your grandparents were alive. It was a thing. Um, <clears throat> so, to this day, people are still dealing with trauma from that. Mm. And um, at the time in Korea, you know, again, people don't realize Korea's economy is not what it is or was not what it is now. Yeah. Today, Korea is doing great. It's a leader in a lot of different you know industries Mm -hmm. back then a lot of people didn't even know where to pick up the pieces you know especially for a farmer or farm family you know they didn't know anything about living in the city going to get a job to support your family they they didn't know that the government was still a little bit corrupt because they were still cleaning things up from you know the occupation and all those kinds of things so and as a woman women were treated as you know a second thought 
um, or an afterthought. And yeah, they were not a priority for families. It was not a priority for families. And even my aunts to this day, they joke about it, but I know I'm sure it hurts. Like, yeah. you know, my aunt always says, she's like, oh, you know, the, the women were, were only the servant, you know, mm. that's all we do. Um, and she's like, we're not included in the important conversations. We're not, we're not a priority. So all my aunts, um, well, all my uncles were able to finish at their education through university, mm. right? But my aunts were not. Um, the only aunt of mine who was able to was my youngest aunt. And that's because my older aunt helped her. So with my mom, she was only able to finish her education, I believe, up through middle school, like barely high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, and that's why the only jobs that she could get were, again, to like clean people's homes or take care of their children. So not realizing those things though as a child or just as a young adult even um because i'll be fully transparent like i didn't know much about korean history thoroughly like i didn't know i knew when the war ended i knew those things but i didn't know how bad it was yeah. right i was just like everybody else and you just knew dates <laughs> i knew dates from american textbooks yeah. which aren't great so um i you know after doing those things and then ta- talking to my relatives when i did do reconnecting with them and they were able to tell me their firsthand experiences i was like wow that sounds awful they so, shared that on the very first trip or was it a- no these are more recent okay. so like the last two trips as an adult you know because i i could understand it better and i could ask better questions um you know they really talked through it but they it was a tough time and my mom you know the the reason she even went off and went off with my biological father i mean he's almost 20 years older than her you know for them the only way to leave the farm and start their own life was to get married Mm -hmm. um and she unfortunately just picked maybe not the best person uh and so when i so going back to when I first saw her, you know, I wasn't empathetic. I was just like, you know, why are you crying? Like I was probably being very cold hearted towards her. I didn't want to really have anything to do with her. And then it wasn't until I went back, um, then another 15 years later. So that it would have been four years ago now. Um, when I had, yeah, like 11 and then, yeah, I waited 20. Yeah. There was another, well, cause you know, college happened the breaks and it's expensive to go there. So finally went back. And unfortunately on that trip, I I did want to see my mom and I had, by then I had done a lot more personal development. I had made all these strides in myself that I was more aware. And I was like, well, I want to have a relationship with my mom and I want to like talk to her, you know, but unfortunately, you know, she didn't want to see me at that trip, Mm. um, which is understandable because of how you received her. Exactly. I think it was a combination of how she received me the first time, which I had almost even forgotten about. Mm. So like someone else brought it up to me and I was like, wow, I'm a jerk. Like I felt, I felt bad. And I was like, I shouldn't have done that. But But you didn't have the same self-awareness and you don't have the same like emotional control. Yeah, exactly. You know, I got emotional for like five seconds about it, but then I was like, well, you know, Michelle, like I had faith that I was going to see her eventually. It just wasn't that trip. So fast forwarding again, I actually went to Korea this time last year I was in Korea and I, w- I was lucky to be able to go for three weeks. And this time around, I told my aunt, I'm really close with my other aunts and cousins. We talk all the time now, which is great. Thank God for technology. <laughs> um, so I told them, they, well, they asked me, they're like, so do, do you want to see your mom? Because they, they're very encouraging and like want that to happen for yeah. me. And I was like, yeah, I, I would as long as, you know, she's okay with it. So they're like, okay, well, this time we're not going to tell her 
because they also were like they thought that last time they told her too soon so she had time to overthink it yeah just so much anxiety yeah because i guess she had said yes and then changed her mind Hmm. so this time they're like we're just gonna tell her like when you're here so i was like okay and they're like and we'll just see how it goes so um happy to report you know yeah after 18 years i was able to reconnect with my mom but it was um definitely a it was a calm experience i don't know Mm -hmm. how else to describe it because i think between the two of us she and i both had done so much development and growth over Mm -hmm. the years because the way she was crying and so emotional the last time i saw her i think she's had all this time to kind of let go of the past finally because Mm -hmm. again i mean that was trauma for her and that's i'm sure something that she's had to work through her entire life now and she's in a much happier place like she's remarried Mm -hmm. to somebody who like loves her like takes really good care of her they have a business together she loves farming like she has her own little garden she's you know cooks all her own things and she plays in like a traditional korean band like she plays korean drums Mm -hmm. and performs and does all these things and you could just tell she's really embraced her own life and she and like, has joy in her she life. has joy and i could tell like i could tell and now she she actually nannies for another family because yeah. she loves babies and i think Aww. she never her, had children she never had children wow. again so i think that was probably a really big letdown for her she wanted she's one of those people who wanted to be a mom hmm. and it was just you know of course uh she wasn't able to do that so anyways it was calming for me too to find her in that state and and you know i i apologized to her i was I had that moment of like, I know maybe I wasn't the best to you the last time I saw you, but like, not that there was anything necessarily to forgive. If anything, you know, I realized she did me a favor. I think for years I was like, you know, you're a grumpy teenager and you're just like, well, you gave me up. You couldn't take care of me. And like, my life sucks, whatever. You have that self pity moment. But what I realized years later now is like what she did was a huge sacrifice. She could have been selfish and said, I'm going to keep my child, even though I'm being offered help. I'm just going to keep her because I want to be a mom and I, I'm going to be selfish and my life would have probably sucked. You know, we wouldn't have had finances. I wouldn't have the education that I have now the freedom to do the things that i most able... likely would be on this podcast. Sharing this <laughs> Not story. At all. I wouldn't even know how to speak English. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, so I've recognized that. So I wanted to tell her, it was important for me to tell her like, you know, that, like, thank you because that's not, and that's not an easy feat. And for her to not only do the act of giving me up, but then have to live a life of being judged. Mm-hmm. Cause I know it wasn't easy, you know? Yeah. The other side to that is, um, you know, I have this biological father who, (laughs) when I was around 13 years old, I had, you know, again, you're a kid, you just want to know stuff. So I started asking about him and long story short, I was told that he passed away Hmm. by one of my aunts. So I was like, okay, once you're told that you kind of stop the search, there's no way you're going to do that. Well, on the same trip last year, I'm having dinner with my other aunt and she's like, very casually like oh like i you know by the way i want to talk to you about this um your, your dad's been looking for you <laughs> so i'm like okay <laughs> so i was like well my dad knows i'm vacationing here so i was thinking my american yeah. dad she's like no 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 no. you're your real dad your biological dad so i'm like what and like i know my face probably just looked crazy and um and i told her i was like well you know my other aunt i was like yeah she told me that he died when i was like 13 and she started laughing and she's like, no. So 
of course it was a huge shock and i mean what i got from it is that my other aunt was probably trying to protect me from you know digging into the past but so my my aunt essentially found out that he had came to our family farm and asked about me and my mom turns out he got diagnosed with some kind of stomach cancer and you know didn't think he was going to live very long so wanted to probably make amends with everyone and everything so he left his phone number with my uncle and then that uncle told my aunt so she was like oh okay do you want to she was like you know do you want to meet him or do you want to talk to him so again when you think someone's dead you don't really think about that anymore (laughs) so i had never even given that thought so i was like i guess so i guess we're doing this so literally the day that i saw my mom we didn't tell her about it because we didn't want to upset her she's very much made it clear she wants nothing to do with him but The day that I saw my mom, I saw her from like 10 a.m. till 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And then my my aunt picked me up and then we drove to go see my dad. That It was oh a very God. heavy day. <laughs> wow. It's a lot. Yeah. So I ended up going to my dad's and it was just um, that in itself, I think talk about, you know, a turning point in life. I, I never thought that that would ever happen for me. Mm-hmm. When I was meeting him, it was such a surreal experience. Um again because it's somebody who's a part of me Mm. even though we've been apart all these years whatever there's just pieces of me that i immediately saw Mm. myself in him and i think he he even said to my aunt he looked at her at one point and she's like oh like she looks like me and like (laughs) i could tell and he was excited to hear about my life too because i told him you know i live in new york city and you know everyone thinks that's very impressive because they only (laughs) see things in movies i'm like it's not that glamorous (laughs) but sure (laughs) just me and my rabbit um I have a pet rabbit. Um, yeah. so <laughs> And lots of plants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, uh, which I, I did show him a picture of my pet rabbit, and he thought it was funny. And he's like, oh, yeah, because he, he really likes animals and nature oh. and stuff. So, yeah, so oh, even wow. stuff like that. Like, yeah. he, he was telling me he loves, like, music and just things that I'm really interested in. So I was like, oh, okay, like, that's interesting mm. that you like those things, too. And, um, and with him, you know, he's being such a tough guy you know, this tough guy demeanor. And I was trying so hard, like just soften up a little bit. Like I was trying, I was trying to pinpoint in there to get some emotion out of him. And, um, but he, you could tell he just wanted me to be proud of who he was also. Mm. And he wanted to make sure that my perception of him wasn't bad Mm. because, you know, I had to, just the way I did with my mom, I had to reassure him, like, I don't hate you. I have not thought negatively of you over the years. Like, again, I, wasn't going to tell him that I thought he was dead, but, you know, just letting him know that I, you know, I was just excited to meet him. And, and as he was telling me stories, like Mm -hmm. I wasn't doing it on purpose, but I think it was nice for him to hear me reaffirming that I was impressed by him. You know, I told him, cause he, turns out i have a whole lot more family so he's also one of like eight kids from a different farm (laughs) so um so i think you know future for future trips i guess i'll reconnect with them but um and again it's like post-war war war korea as a as a man and he's 20 years older than my mom at the time so he's older and like being expected to be you know starting in the workforce and moving to the city and all this stuff and him provider. Being, and a provider and he you know he unfortunately got into illegal business which that happens a lot after wars you know when things are corrupt and you just have to make money you get involved in things to survive and but he i knew he was making sure that he knew that i didn't consider him to be a criminal or anything mm-hmm. because he would even say stuff like oh you know like 
in my heyday you know i would go out to bars and i'd buy all the drinks for everyone and then he was telling me how he would tell young girls to go back home like he was like you know if i saw them in trouble or getting involved in something i would tell them you know you need to go home to your family and he was like you know the people saw me as like a provider and he whether it was illegal or not he just he <laughs> wanted me to know <laughs> that he was doing good in the community yeah. and you know and then he you know he told me he's like i'm really proud that you, you know to hear that you're doing all these things and you have all these friends and like communities back where you live because yeah. that's that's what i you know that's how i was so it makes sense because you're my daughter <laughs> so like um you know it was a happy experience and and that whole night you know, he was just so stiff and tough yeah. guy and like telling me his like stories of glory. And then at the end of the night when we were parting ways and I went in for the hug, I was just like, I squeezed him and I was like, I'm going to get it out of you, like <laughs> whether you like it or not. And he did. And he, he just kind of released and he relaxed. Yeah. And, um, for him to say, at, cause I was like, okay, well I'm, I'm going to see you again. Like I wanted it to be clear and I want him to live longer. Now that mm-hmm. I met you, don't let it be the last time, time you know? Yeah. And, and he said, like I'm, I'm going to take care of myself. I could, I could see a little bit of, he smirked a little bit, like mm. a little smile came out. He finally was feeling happy. Yeah. And it was, it was really sweet. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'm going, I'm going back again this year. Okay. Well, hopefully with everything uh, that's going on, fingers but crossed. yeah, fingers crossed. Um, and I, I hope to see him again and you know, it, maybe it's keep in touch like how so he um doesn't have a cell phone um which makes it a little bit difficult but Mm -hmm. my aunt that i'm really close with she lives like 40 minutes away from him so she's been keeping tabs on him so yeah yeah which is which is great but does your mom know now that you she doesn't and i don't think it's something we're gonna tell her and like i said you know her relationship with him is separate from my relationship with him and i know that they have a painful past but yeah that's something else that came up when when he and i were together is he asked about her Mm -hmm. and he was like oh like how is she doing and we told him we were like she's remarried she's very happy and you could tell he he found peace in that too because when you've had what 27 years to think about you know something bad that you did or a negative relationship you know he's probably sulked in his own guilt yeah. and whatever happened and his between role them and how things exactly out. exactly so he um yeah so he i think it brought him some peace to mm. be told like oh she's doing well yeah. you know and he's like that's all i need to know yeah. and you could tell he, he wasn't going to be like i want to see her or anything <laughs> like that he was going to do that but he was just at peace so um but yeah that, that i'll be honest i mean when i went to korea i knew the mom thing was going to happen i was prepared for that was not prepared for the dad thing and coming back i mean i had to go it was funny before my trip i actually stopped seeing my therapist because she was like you're doing so great and like i just feel like these are kind of unnecessary when i came back (laughs) you're like we really need to unpack everything that just happened i sent her an email and i was like i have to see you and when i had that session with her she's like wow so and i was joking with my friends i was like i thought it was just gonna be like a casual like whatever trip but it ended yeah. up being kind of heavy so yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and i'm still working through it i mean um you know i therapy has been also part of my personal development i unfortunately it's not easily accessible mm-hmm. as it should be i in my personal opinion um i think that needs to change <laughs> for me what i've learned through therapy and just growth in general is that you are constantly evolving. We mm-hmm. hear that all the time. Change is, change is constant, whatever. What they don't tell you is that you 
have to be at peace with your past self and your present self Mm -hmm. and who you hope to be. And that is a challenge. Mm -hmm. Like that's for me, that's been my number one (laughs) thing. It's like, there's so many parts of me that misses old parts of me, but likes the new parts of me, but also doesn't, is not yet comfortable with the Mm. new me. And it's really, they don't tell you how hard it's going to be, you know? And you think that you're going to get to a place where you're like, Oh, I'm, you know, I'm doing great. I'm whatever. I have a good job, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, making peace with your multiple selves mm-hmm. is a very complex experience and it's it's ongoing it's a life, yeah and it's a lifelong journey yeah lucky for me i'm able to make therapy work and do this kind of work where i can connect the dots and you know thanks to having good friends or meeting people like you or whoever who can have these conversations is super helpful so um yeah that's yeah. i think this is a good place to end yeah. um thank you again michelle um thank i'm just you. like thanks for having me and like i'm just letting me share my story and you know part of me being able to share my story is part of my healing process yeah. so this was therapeutic as always theme music by exile dynamics featuring more box sound engineering by wheels case